What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the show. This podcast is supported by two incredible Bitcoin companies, River and CoinKite, which cover the two most important bases when accumulating Bitcoin, buying it and securing it. If you're in the U.S., River is the place to buy Bitcoin. Set up a zero-fee dollar cost average plan and let the sats pile up with no stress. Or buy and host mining rigs with them and have a steady stream of sats flow coming your way. Finally, if you're a developer or entrepreneur, River's Lightning service lets you build Bitcoin payments into your applications without having to run any Lightning infrastructure yourself. Simply put, the team at River are hardcore Bitcoiners that do things right. Learn more about them at river.com today. Once you've bought your Bitcoin, it's time to take self-custody, as this, after all, is the entire value proposition of Bitcoin. CoinKite is your one-stop shop to do just that. Whether it's a signing device, also known as a hardware wallet, a steel plate to back up your seed words, a block clock for telling Bitcoin time, a sats card for gifting Bitcoin, or a reservation for the highly anticipated cold card Q1 device, CoinKite has you covered. Visit CoinKite.com and use promo code VALIS, V-A-L-L-I-S, for 5% off today. And finally, if you'd like to support this show directly, you can do so simply by listening to it on Fountain. Just download the Fountain app on iOS or Android, follow Bitcoin Rapid Fire, and you're good to go. You can share your thoughts on this episode by sending a boost, like a tip with a message, see what other listeners have said, or even create and share clips of your favorite moments. Getting started is super easy. You can top up your Fountain wallet with a bank card, you can send a few sats there from another wallet, or you can even earn sats by listening to episodes and clips on the platform. To learn more, visit fountain.fm today. Noam, uh, thank you for doing this today. Uh, looking forward to the discussion. Likewise. Thank you for having me on, John. Um, perhaps before we get into the meat of the topic that we're going to be discussing, um, any kind of introduction you'd like to give both to me and, and to the audience? I noticed on your new uh, entrant onto Twitter, I think you have one follower, which is definitely the lowest of any guest <laughs> I've ever had on this show. <laughs> yes, but, I'm thinking uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a nobody on social media. Um, basically, I'm a physical therapist. I've been delving deep into the sciences of healthcare. Um, finance is the last thing on my list that I was concentrating on. So I do home visits for the last several years. And for me, there's a lot of car driving time in between. So instead of listening to music, I just tuned into uh, podcasts dealing with finance and other topics. But what, what caught my interest the most was finance, specifically stocks. Um, but then that kind of led me into the whole Bitcoin phenomenon. At first, it was a very skeptic uh, concept. I didn't really understand it. Um, but just I kept on listening. There was something that was gravitating me towards it. And um, just one talker, one talker after another talker, it was just um, appearing to me that this was a very prominent invention that will probably change the face of the world. So that's when I went down this rabbit hole that everyone keeps mentioning. And it just it led me to the point of going back home each and every day and diving deep into the sciences, into finance and learning the terms. Um, particularly speaking, I was listening to Michael Saylor a lot, who He's an engineer himself, and he just kept on bringing the word energy, energy into the equation. So I had to pretty much first do a deep dive in physics and chemistry, and just to review the basics uh, terminology of, of what energy is and how, how, how we utilize it. And then just things led to another where I was connecting how money is energy and 
And then it led me down this rabbit hole where I connected at the end where morality was the ultimate solution. So I was just driven to learn more about finance and how we can improve the world. So it was really from a moral perspective, not a get quick rich phenomenon. It was just a more of a deeper story for me. Yeah. It's so funny. You know, I, mean, I don't know how much you've listened to this show, but these are themes that we discuss a lot. And one of the themes is the uh the intensity and the sheer broadness of the rabbit hole you know so you get brought in because you hear oh it's another investment or maybe it's the future of money or this kind of stuff and then the the surface area of what you need to consult in order to understand this thing in its in its fullness just keeps getting larger and larger and larger and like you know one of the questions i often ask myself and others is like you know what do you make of a thing that that touches so many other disciplines in order to fully understand it, you know, that, that, and as a result is, is kind of relevant and bleeds into so many other areas. And then, as you say, you know, you peel back the onion far enough as you know, far enough, or you go down the rabbit hole far enough. And it seems like any of these deeper inquiries about life, you know, of course it starts with money and trade or exchange or the efficiency of energy and this kind of stuff. And maybe this is just the way that we're wired, you know, human consciousness is wired, but it winds up at morality at the base, you know, it's sure, like sure. good and evil is staring you, you know, in the face at the base of any deep inquiry. And it's just, it's fascinating that so many have come to a kind of similar confrontation in, in their, sure. um, their analysis of Bitcoin. Sure. I think we're, we're, most of us are looking past the dollar, the money itself, or what is the meaning or the purpose behind it? And it's just a very, very deep explorative space that I think all of us are are chipping in one at a time. And it's just one builds up upon the other. Um, a person's prior experience can kind of lead, especially if they speak it out. And then someone clings on to that experience. And we're just adding uh, one, one at a time as far as understanding the theory behind money and ultimately the purpose of, of the world and, and our lives. Well, there you go. And, and so that's why, you know, it's so interesting, again, that what was first, you know, you said you were a skeptic at first, and then, you know, sure. something kind of caught your attention to change your perspective on it. And then that journey down the rabbit hole is is transformative. And that's sure. a theme that probably the, the primary theme of, of my show is just because I, I like to talk to, well, people like yourself, no offense, but people that are kind of out there yeah. that aren't, yeah. you know, big names in the space, just to, sure. to kind of see like, how has the attempt to understand this thing transform your perspective and therefore your actions and your ambitions sure. and, and your life generally. And, you know, the punchline is, is it's very often the case that that, that, that journey, you know, that attempt to understand this thing in its fullness sure. has a very transformative effect, you know, and sure. it's very consistent. And I just want to add to that, the ones who are really not known, what they do most of the time is actually listen. So when we listen more, the ones who really are not are not out there spending more time digesting the information, learning and kind of connecting the dots. So I've always looked for those videos that have very little views or a little attention, because I think those are the sources that have really much more absorbency of information than anyone else. But yeah, yeah I mean, it's like a blend of the two. You have to have the experience versus the inexperience to kind of put things together. So what, what was the the you said you were a skeptic initially, like what was the first kind of inkling that you needed to have another look, like whether it was a particular podcast or book or like, what was it that kind of started changing your perspective? Not really. It was just the whole intangibility of Bitcoin. I just, um, I knew what money was like a dollar or the banks, how the US dollar works. It's just the whole thing of someone created a monetary system and it's actually not tangible at all. That's what led me to the whole skeptic idea and the volatility was extreme. So I think that's where I kind of took a step back. Like, why is this thing so volatile and people jumping in? They're just trying to get a quick, rich kind of concept. So it was 
at that moment, when it's first new to someone, the first instinct from a protective humanistic standpoint is, hey, let me be on guard before I'm going to put anything into this whole thing. So it was the volatility, it was the intangibility of the actual Bitcoin itself that scared me. And then le leading up to you know, the videos that you've done now, which we'll get into, I mean, sure. was it just a natural progression or was there a light bulb, an initial yeah. light bulb moment before all the subsequent light bulb moments? <laughs> It was multiple, multiple podcasts, but um, I think it was mixing in the sciences, which I have a lot of credit to Sailor, who does utilize the words energy quite a lot. So I think when you uh, introduce concepts of tangibility, which is energy, gravity, electricity, uh, it starts to kind of make sense. So I think the introduction of the term energy really put the, you know, the the, the bullet there that says, hey, this is a little bit more than just money and it gave me more credibility when I when I really peered more into the energy systems. Right. All right. Well, why don't we dive into your work? I mean, I know it's it's super broad and deep, so I, I don't know <laughs> how you want to attack it, but you've probably thought about it. So, you know, why don't sure. you so, break into it however you'd like? Sure. I'll do the best I can. So basically what I did is I stepped back and says, you know what, which system out there in the world or the universe is the longest last, lasting has never uh, failed? And I said, the world itself, the world itself, the universe itself has never failed. It's been in existence for millions and billions of years. It depends on what field of study or, or religion you, you base it on, or even thousands of years. So out of everything that we've ever encountered, the one and only thing that's lasted all this time was nature itself. So I said, and I questioned myself, how come we can't really apply, how come we cannot apply the same principles that the nature is governed by? to apply to a company or a currency or a country. And that's what kind of sparked my whole project. And um, in a nutshell, nature, as we all know it, or the world itself is pretty much coded. So gravity, specific number, the speed of light, a specific number, electric flow. I mean, basically things that are coded and formulated and it can't lie. It, 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 it's, it's a static, stagnant uh, policy where no one can manipulate it. And that was like a pretty complex idea, but in a very simplistic form. If you just stick to the laws of nature, that system will go on forever. So what I try to do in my thesis is to go, go through a couple examples where systems have failed, even currencies have failed, and why that happened. And every time I did it, if we look, if we went through the video, you can see that the uh, the the uh, complacency aspect, the inefficiency aspect, um, uh, the forces of lying, cheating, anything that breaks the code, that system ultimately failed. So I went through a couple of examples to show that uh, when we go against the code or against the grain, a system eventually will fail. But if you stick to that code and keep pouring positive energy, that system will go on forever. So um, my whole thesis was if you act like nature, where you just stick to one code, whatever it might be, and just keep applying to it as long as it's moral, that thing will last forever. So that's pretty much in a nutshell what I've kind of broken down into. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like one of the, well, at least a big component of the videos was the assertion that, you know, um, the manner in which things use energy, i.e. the efficiency with which they use energy sure. and efficiency, you know, as far as what you just described can be like, how much friction do those absolute right. parameters impose on a, on a given thing? 
And sure. basically efficiency is greater coherence with those parameters or, or, or less, sure. you know, friction or confrontation with those parameters. Sure. And then your, the assertion as far as in, in, in the human domain, and we, we should perhaps discuss both was that, um, truth is let's say maximal coherence with what allows one to be most efficient. And that's why it's more sustaining or more self-perpetuating. Whereas lies are basically counter to that nature that you, that you're sure. mentioning. And that's why they're, uh, they can't sustain themselves as long because they require more energetic inputs to sustain themselves. They don't have that sure. same degree of efficiency. Is that sure. kind of more or less the energy morality yeah. argument? Yeah. So, so I mean, lying does exist. There's deceit that does exist. So it is part of nature, but nature has a code that if you do apply the immoral principles, that system eventually will fail or become non-existent. Um, but yes, there's basically positive and negative forces that will provide energy to a system or depreciate the system over time. So pretty much it encompasses more of a moral blanket or moral concept. And I know moral morality is pertaining to religion, but if that's too strong, then you have to kind of come down to a good or bad or beneficial or not beneficial terminology. So it's like a, a battle between those two forces the more better forces you have in there that are 100% pure and moral, it'll go on forever. So that's how I looked at it as far as systems eventually declining, meaning it's not declining because it's lacking energy, it's just you're bleeding the energy into another system. Um, hope, I'm hoping that was pretty clear. Yeah, I mean, we'll probably hop hop around here yeah. before we find a real groove, but what, you know, yeah. basically you're talking about energy efficiency kind of discovering the morality in nature i think yes. that was another part of the insights in, in your piece sure. and i mean is that would you would you characterize the enterprise of religion as being something similar attempting to discover understand the morality in nature sure so the term energy efficiency we're, we're basically utilizing energy in the most efficient way if we're not energy efficient, what you're doing is you're over utilizing. So that's kind of a falsehood. So uh, in, in, uh, efficiency in, in itself is a principle of morality and morality. So when things become efficient, what you're doing is you're being truthful to yourself as much as awareness as you have that you're using every resource available to make something good or flourish. If you're becoming inefficient, in a way, something should be cheaper or something should be done better. And the fact that you didn't go study that part, you didn't tap into nature to get to those levels. So the term efficiency and inefficiency, they are blended in ultimately to the term morality and immorality in, in a way. If we, if, if we break down to first principles. Do you mind if I ask if if sure. you have a faith of any a sure. religious am, faith yeah, of any time? Sure, I'm, I'm I'm Jewish, so there's a blend of that mixed in. And on the side of learning finance and uh, Bitcoin, there's a little bit of rabbinical and Jewish studies involved too. So it's a wide spectrum that I have to connect the dots uh, in, with, right. with my thesis. You know, it's funny when I was watching your video, you know, and you were talking about the energy efficiency morality sort of dynamic. Sure. It, it reminded me when I was younger, I can't remember exactly the the age, but you know, let's say early teenager. I mean, my, the only example I can really remember is, uh, you know, when I got caught drinking the first time. Uh, but the, the reason why I, I refused to lie when I was a kid 
was not necessarily, I mean, I'm sure I grew up within a, a moral framework that I wasn't really aware of, but there was no overt or explicit moral framework in my family, i.e. as like a, a religion or anything like that. You know, like mom and dad sure. would say good, good and bad, but we didn't have an explicit moral framework, let's say, even though I was certainly nested within one. But so for, for me, not lying wasn't necessarily to cohere to the moral framework I'd been, you know, inculcated in. But I thought like, you know, very, I guess, rationally about it from the beginning. Like if I tell this lie now, then I'm I'm building a, a separate architecture basically of reality. It's like, cause so, so that lie is there. And then I've got to consider that lie in all future endeavors and things that I say, because, you know, I've got to uphold that in some way so that it doesn't dissolve and I don't bear the the burden and the consequences of that I was trying to avoid in the first place. And sure. so I thought like, well, if I tell this lie now, that means I got to, you know, tell another lie to keep it up later. And I keep building on top of that. And it's just going to be exhausting eventually. And I'll probably won't be able to do it. And then the house of cards will come falling down and I'll, I'll get, I'll bear the burden of the worst of both. I'll have sure. the, the, the energetic expenditure of holding up that artifice, but I'll also bear the consequences of, of being a liar and being known to be a liar. And I was like, yeah. no way, I'm, I'm, this is, this just doesn't make sense. And I, and it was basically on kind of like energetic grounds because I was like, I don't think I can uphold something like that. Correct. You have to consume a lot more energy to sustain a lie over a long period of time. You can see that's where companies eventually fail. Um, you know, there's so much energy you can, you can utilize. So at the end of the day, if we're lying, there's that negative force on that energy system where you itself becomes energy inefficient. You have to use so much energy to kind of hide your lies, uh, cover your, your, you know, cross your T's out your eyes. You got to keep doing that. So the overutilization of energy itself you know, it, it keeps coming back to that principle of energy utilization. If you have to use too much energy to get your concept through, something is wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Tell me, what do you think about, you know, there, there's this concept, again, often talked about in, in Bitcoin land, you know, making versus taking. Fiat versus is taking, Bitcoin is making, right? You can only get someone's Bitcoin by providing something of value, whereas in fiat land, sure. you can be a rent seeker, you can be close to the spigot, whatever. Why... Stealing on the surface would appear to be energy efficient, right? Like I can go, if I'm more powerful than someone, I go take what they have made rather than expending the energy myself. How does that fit into the framework as you see it? Sure. When you take, when someone makes a service and you're taking, in a way, um, you're giving that person some value because, hey, I helped this person out. So our, our, our services to each other, when you accept my service, that makes me feel really good. So it's actually a moral principle from your end to receive uh, something from that person to make them feel, hey, I'm actually contributing a value to society. So in a way, taking is in a concept of morality from your end to make sure the other person gets the appreciation of who they are and what they're doing in this world. But, but, but I mean taking as in stealing not taking as in taking the products of their labor in exchange no. for something you know what i'm saying so i'm i'm saying like we can trade we can there can be voluntary exchange right and i had to put a lot of energy into whatever i'm exchanging with you for what sure. you have or i'm bigger than you so i'm just going to take what you have how how does that fit into the analysis of you know energetic efficiency and morality as far as you see it Sure. I mean, you just, there, there's no way there's, a, there's an allowance for someone just to take something without earning it. So the earning part is that you had to expend your own energy. You have to expend your own abilities to get what you deserve. If you don't deserve that in a way you're, 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 you're consuming or stealing energy 
for something that you do not deserve. So in a way that's that's stealing on its own and it's on the same level of, it, of immorality. So consuming energy that was not meant for you, it wasn't deserving for you in in within itself is is uh, immoral. Is that what you're trying to ask? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of getting at the point because we've been teasing out this idea that energetic efficiency is moral, basically. Sure. You know, and so what I'm saying is it would appear, and maybe this is wrong, but it would appear that stealing is more energetic, energetically efficient than than making something myself. And so I'm wondering where the, like how to assess the morality of that sort of energetic sure. I mean, dynamic. On, on, for me on a baseline level, it's not energy efficient because you have, in order to think about stealing, as if you remember one of my slides, to think about stealing itself takes a lot more um, brain energy. So taking something that's not yours, you know, this is where that moral energy concept is. You're taking so much energy on a morality or immorality basis to take that part. So this is where intangibility and what is moral energy, it's hard to prove this part, but the fact that you thought about sealing something, the consumption of that immoral energy was skyrocketingly high. And that for me is the inefficiency aspect of stealing. I see. Yeah, in, in I, regards I, to moral and immoral energy, it's like a different wavelength. Think about radio waves. Think about uh, um, X rays, gamma rays. In my thesis, this is what I'm trying to say that there might be, and this is a little bit past what we can consider more tangible. But just like how we didn't consider radio waves, microwaves, um, X rays a hundred years ago, just because you can't see it doesn't mean you can't disprove it. So mm -hmm. the so the stealing aspect, just to review, it's the overutilization of the immoral energy to make that task happen, which is inefficient. The way I think about it, well, I guess I think about it in uh, in two ways. One is that it's it's kind of another instance of that artificial artifice that you would be erecting, you know, of a different kind. But I think, you know, when you if you do something immoral that's clearly immoral and obviously immoral, I think you're 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 building up blowback energy in some capacity, right? Like sure. you tell one lie and then you tell another and you tell a hundred, you've got all these different, sure. you know, pe people that think differently. And, and at some point the pressure of that just breaks and it all, the facade comes down. I think there's possibly something like that in stealing though, of course, you know, that, you know, you can get away with it and maybe that's not the case, but the more profound one. And again, as you say, the one that's more difficult to prove, um, Right. I would say, you know, a lot of people, particularly, I think, religious people would uh, uh, assign a perhaps the, the 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 most valuable or fundamental or sustaining form of energy in their life as that which they derive from the relationship with the divine or God or or whomever that, you know, that relationship. And I, I would say that immoral behavior, stealing being, you know, well, stealing is a spectrum. Of course, you can steal someone's life or you can steal someone's sandwich, but like, let's just say that's like one of the worst. Sure. Um, that I think, and all you know, behaviors like that cut you off from accessing yeah. that that most moral energy, let's say the energy of God or however you'd like to characterize it. And again, this won't appeal to a secular crowd because that's not really a concept that they Correct. probably put much stock in. Sure. But I, I do think that's part of the how the scales are balanced, let's sure. say, in, in in looking at it through the lens of energy. Yeah, and, and I think the term, if, if morally moral is too strong, use the same words as beneficial or not beneficial. And you know, if you study every system, what 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 has failed, it, it can you can derive, you can deduce the idea that if it's not beneficial to human society or to growth, 
it eventually fail. Um, you know, the examples of Enron that I provided or, or the old um, incandescent light bulb, basically if, if it wasn't beneficial to human beings, it eventually fails. So um, if, if I, I know there, there, there's a group in here, moral immorality, they start to kind of shy back from it. So if that's too strong, it's based on the same lines or synonymous as far as being beneficial or not beneficial. Yeah. And as you're saying that, I, I mean, the, the thought that comes into my head is that fiat well, does two things. One, I would say it's kind of an imposition of an immoral system on, on the world, one that uh, perverts energy transfer, you know, doesn't allow markets to discover, discover energy efficiency as well, let's say, through this lens, but also allows companies and institutions within those markets to um, not be, let's say, not have the corrective energetic the mechanism imposed on them as quickly as it might be, you know. So this this concept of of nature that we've been articulating and the the, the function of energy efficiency and how that relates to everything. Sure. Do you think it's the case that you know? Let's just use a tangible example so it's easier. But like, let's take a company like Monsanto. Now maybe they do a lot of good work, uh, but they've been kind of like one of the bad guys for a long time because they're in the GMO and pesticides and, you know, and, and their, their, their business practices appear to be very overbearing and abusive. And, you know, they're, they're suing farmers and they're spreading, their, they're using seeds that kind of spread and kill all other forms of seeds that are in competition with their proprietary seeds. Sure. So it would seem to be kind of like a bad actor in the corporate space. Sure. Um, but, and so you'd think like, well, they wouldn't have much longevity because they're kind of being immoral there. But sure. I would think that the, the fiat system that they're within actually allows them to perpetuate their, their practices much longer. What, right. what is your perspective on that? Sure. So and any immoral system, eventually, if it's if the, the floor of what they're working on absorbs some of the immorality, absolutely, it lengthens their longevity. Um, now, their system can provide some goodness to it. So even, you know, kinetic energy on the aspect of kinetic energy, like the one example I bought was, was Nazism. They were able to actually exist because they had enough ammunition. They had enough human beings to support the idea. So even as bad as Nazism was, it was able to still exist because the formula of nature doesn't lie. I mean, if there's enough kinetic energy behind it, if there's enough people behind it, it can happen and it, it can make into fruition. But the time aspect, if you remember my, my, my thesis where time is a huge sacred part to it. So as, as long as you allow enough time, that system eventually will fail. Now, what depicts how long it's formulaic it's it's how much energy is backing some um, that company that you run apart if they have a lot of investors backing it if they have that floor that keeps on absorbing some of their morality nature allows it to exist nature will never bend its rules so as bad as a company may be in the background as long as they have supporting uh, tools and, and and resources they can exist but time is the one that will really really give us that expression of truth if we're all being passive, though, we're not investigating. This is where this is where education is the number one thing to do. You got to make spark people to just wake up, open their eyes, open their ears, just to kind of absorb what's going on. The more passivity that's out there, these bad characters can get away with these discrepancies. So, education speakers um, and just uh, I think YouTube is a fabulous idea to kind of ex uh, express as much truthful as we can to wake people up, so that these systems that you know, they, they, they do lie there. There's immorality. They can be stopped eventually sooner than later. That's the whole, that's the whole uh, theme. And just to put a cap on that, 
what stops them? The truth? Is that? Eventually, eventually the people say, whoa, I'm eating something that will hurt me. I'm getting something that will hurt my kids. Eventually they'll put a stop to that because when, the, when we go away from passivity to activity, the, the, the energy uh, utilization of money, pouring money at that system will fail. So it, it, what it comes down to is if, if there's no more money pouring that system, that, that whole system fails. Oh. You, you, you brought up time. And one of the things that you mentioned in your video was uh, how time has to move faster or it's perceived to be sure. to move faster on a malleable system, which sure. I, I guess we would assert fiat is a type of malleable system. Can you, uh, you know, explain that a little bit more? Sure. So that floor that I talk about, that's like the money floor. So if it's a fiat, if it's a fiat floor, that moral blanket is what I talk about. There's pushing forces on that. What are, what are the pushing forces are the immorality. So if there's an immoral force pushing on that floor of currency, and if you can print more money, that floor starts to sag down. So you're creating a nice big trough. So that line from A to B is actually lengthened. When something sags down, you're actually lengthening that line. For us to live on this world with the same current speed or to exist, things have to go faster. So, um, and, and that's how Wi-Fi, computers, innovation has to keep happening to keep up with the actual normal speed of what we should be working with. So um, we have to keep innovating to avoid some of the issues of immorality and once Bitcoin is set, though, that floor is not going to give any more. So those bailouts that kept happening, the immorality that keeps happening, the inefficiency that keeps happening, it's an environment that will not allow any inefficiency to exist for, for that long. So printing of money or fiat currency gives, gives to that floor. When it gives to that floor, it lengthens that line. And in order to live a normal a rate or pace of life, things have to go faster. Communication has to go faster. Changing information has to go faster. So that was my main thesis at the very end. It sounds like you're suggesting, at least in part, that innovation is driven by that sag, yes. you know, that, that, that necessity sure. to keep up. So what would happen to innovation if that sag, if that floor was, you know, solid and it wasn't sagging down at all sure. so regarding innovation? Sure, because we're looking at now, is innovation bad? What innovation has to happen is to pick up some of the slack. So for example, I'm a physical therapist. I've seen what's going out there. The time and information doctors spend with patients are super, super limited. We may have all the answers right now to actually heal a person, let's say with Parkinson's or, or hypertension issues or heart issues. But the fact that there's immoral practices, meaning they're not spending enough time, they're just giving chemical medications. We have probably all the tools available to treat the patient and cure whatever they're going through, but it's not being done. So what's gonna happen is the medical field will have to go, oh, let's go innovate something to make sure we can detect uh, heart issues more accurately. If you solve it the first way in a more natural way, or you know, we, we don't have to keep innovating. So innovation in a way is a sign that we're having to make new things because we're not doing the right things initially in a way well that now we're getting somewhere interesting so you know because because <laughs> i often i try to explore the notion of progress and i think it's something that in the modern world we more or less even you know despite your your uh, political differences like where you line up on the political spectrum most people kind of view progress as the same you know like more spaceships and wormholes and, you know, better communications and faster travel and 
virtual reality and AI, like this is most people would kind of probably agree that that is progress, like moving forward on those on those domains. Um, but, you know, I, I try to maybe just as a thought exercise, but think like, well, why do we think that's progress? And, you know, the obvious answer is because we value those things. It's like, well, what if we valued other things? How would that change how we construe progress? So like, let's say you didn't value exploring space or a colony on Mars. Let's say you valued time with your loved ones in a beautiful environment, enjoying, you know, the best food and feeling vital and strong until you're 130 or whatever, you know, just as an example, obviously people can value many different things. Well, then that would change what you deem to be progress. You you would deem progress. What you just said is doctors having more time available for each patient and therefore being able to get better treatment. Now, obviously, technology informs that AI is going to help with diagnostics. I thought, you know, so this is all complicated, sure. but suffice it, suffice it to say that what we value will determine what we deem to be progress. And it seems to be the case that Bitcoin has, you know, has affected people's values. It has, you know, changed how they see the world, how they see themselves and what they aspire to. And it's funny as you're saying this, because we're saying like, well, what happens if you kind of make a solid foundation? Well, it's going to at a minimum, at least as far as your framework is concerned, disincentivize the same rate of innovation because sure. the, the incentive for the pace of innovation has, will have to decre decrease. And so you'll get less innovation. Right. And if I look at, um, you know, Bitcoiners broadly, a lot of the ones that I speak to, how their lives have changed. We referred to transformation earlier. I I think it's fair to say that a common trend is kind of like a uh, a more minimal uh, approach to life. You know, like a, a kind yeah. of even it's though like normal, maybe, yeah. Maybe maybe people spend a lot of time on Twitter, but like when they're not, they want to be in a beautiful environment with their family, eating good food, you know, that kind of stuff. Sure. They're they're not like further in the VR realms and that kind of stuff. And so that's a sure. clear uh well, one, that's a clear difference in values, but two, I would say that's a difference that is either either Bitcoin is is pulling in people that are kind of inclined toward that, or as I've seen, because I've heard a lot of people talk about their transformations, is it's causing them to value things differently. And that's showing up in, in those kinds of behaviors. So even though like, because I think a lot of people, you know, based on the culture we have, people don't like the notion of less innovation. We want more, you know, like it just, we want more complexity, more innovation, all this kind of stuff. But maybe it's the case that that solid floor that you're talking about and the yes. incentive being diminished for innovation is just simply going to mean that we ascribe value to innovation, progress, technology differently than we currently do. And maybe it gets downregulated to some degree. The flip, the, the counter argument may be cat's already out of the bag. A, you know, super AI is going to be here in five years, so it's not going to matter anyways. But it's an sure. interesting thought experiment to see, to to sure. to speculate what's driving innovation. And as you point out, it's sure. that trough in the timeline. But this is the first time where innovation is on money. In human civilization, we never had a constant on money. This is the first time ever where money is constant. So remember, the whole need to innovate is to is because some of the absorbency of maybe monetary systems not being stable. This is for the first time ever where money will finally have a pure concrete floor that will not absorb any inefficiencies. So in a way, this is the first time where money is being innovated. And in a very, very pure and coded way. So that lifestyle that we're used to, to keep innovating, 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 seems to be like, do we really have to? Do we have to spend so much time to keep innovating versus spending time to how can I help my next door neighbor? Like, mm -hmm. 
you know, uh, even like making your own little farm in the back or, you know, the primitive style to a degree can be very helpful to help others instead of, you know, opening grand chains all around the country. Um, so it's, it's a very deep process thought, but with you innovate money and make it concrete, you don't have to keep innovating on new materials. You can be helping others by, you know, indulging into that system that, or, or the product that they need. Mm -hmm. um, or doctors spend more time. So if doctors get paid in Bitcoin, let's say, they can spend not five minutes, but a half hour with each patient. If they cure this patient, that line at the door of hundreds of people will be more like 20. Um, so eventually, the productivity of each and every hour that person can produce becomes more efficient because what they get paid for, they don't have to cram their office with 50 patients to make sure that they can pay the bill. Mm -hmm. So our lifestyle of, of getting used to innovating, 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 I think we have to break that norm. Um, I know it's, we're not we're not used to it, but I think that's one of the things I'm always kind of going back and forth on too, that I do believe that innovating is in a way trying to brush stuff under the rug in a way. Um, well, I think so I think one of the very clear ways that supports your argument is, you know, we have this uh, 2% inflation target, you know, and the average person will say, yeah, you know, I, I kind of get that, it, that monetary debasement is like, you know, making my cash worth less, but you know, I got assets and a home and, you know, it's 2%. Who really cares? If it keeps the, gre the wheels greased, then, you know, what odds? Uh, but what a lot of people don't understand is that that's ensuring a, you know, a complete plus 2% steal of productivity gains, you know, because let's say uh, productivity gains would have accrued 20% extra purchasing power to the money based on, you know, in aggregate in the economy. But you, if you have a stated goal of of two percent inflation, that means that the you know the the person who gets to create the money is going to siphon off twenty two percent of those efficiency gains. So whereas every year maybe you would have gotten twenty percent of more purchasing power in the money, which would be you know dramatically uh, beneficial to everyone, instead that that those productivity gains and the value of those productivity gains is being redirected redistributed to a very 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 small group of people of course who have control over the money and so if they were more distributed and and sorry and one of the outcomes of that is that in, innovation really has to you know be emphasized in the areas where it can so that that's not felt as much so that 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 theft effectively, or at least that lack of efficiency gain is not felt as much. And of course, what do you know, where the places where we see the greatest efficiency gains and the, and the costs being reduced are in these places that are well in the, in the digital realms, basically, because it's easier to to reduce costs there. And that's why and, and what do you know, more and more of our lives are being drawn into the digital world. And because there's a dramatic incentive for them to be, you know, notwithstanding, they're interesting, and they're, you know, have all the the independently beneficial aspects of them, but there's a huge incentive because the rest of the world is becoming increasingly expensive. We're, we're not able to keep up, but the digital realm is able to be remain inexpensive and become even more so because of that pace of innovation. So of course, we're going to be drawn into it because it's a very strong incentive to be. And so sure. I think that that bodes well for, for the argument that uh, if those productivity gains were not siphoned away, and they were able to be distributed more broadly to the purchasing power of the money. And as a result of that, more broadly to all areas of a market or an economy, not just the ones most capable at, at resisting uh, price increases, let's say, then presumably 
all those other areas would gain an incentive and the relative incentive of the digital landscape, let's say, would be diminished. And so I think that emphasizes Absolutely. your point where it says like all those other things that are not necessarily considered like technological or, or you know, modern, they would, there would be a renewed incentive placed on engaging them because of the dynamics of how purchasing power is now not being drawn away, but is being exactly. distributed amongst money holders. Exactly. It's the purchasing power what Bitcoin does. I mean, it's, it's the ability to hold a percent of a Bitcoin for you to consume you know, many goods versus we need more dollars to consume the same amount of goods. So the purchasing power is what is going to exponentially increase. The money supply, it's limited. It's, it's the purchasing power that gives us the ability to be efficient with money for the first time. So um, I think we're kind of seeing eye to eye here in regards to the importance of innovating money itself and capping it and let the purchasing power exponentially increase versus exponentially increasing the money supply itself. Yeah. You know, this makes me think of, well, one of the things you said, and also one of the arguments that, that often comes up, and I think in, in your video, you said that, you know, prices will fall so much that you won't have to work and instead sure. can focus on moral concerns. Now, I, I mostly agree with that. I I think maybe not have to work at all is 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 a stretch, but I do think that sustenance concerns will be brought down in terms of the, the amount of time that you have to devote to them. And as you say, I mean, I, I do think moral concerns will ascend as a result because, you know, almost like a, a you know, hierarchy of needs. It's like, well, if if you're not spending all of your time on the hamster wheel and you can actually take a breath, well, then what emerges in your mind is like, well, what, what else is there? And what's, what's most important in life? And what should I be devoting my time and my energy and my resources to? And that basically is the bucket of, of, of morality, right? When you come out of sure. necessity and you come out of, you know, the, you know, the capacity to just voluntarily sure. or freely choose, well, when you're in the realm of free will, you're in the realm of morality. So I, I do think that's going to be the case. Um, and one of the, the things that the detractors often say is like, well, if you're right about this purchasing power increase and and Bitcoin's purchasing power is going to increase by 10 or 20% a year. And even when it stabilizes, it's going to be like five or 10%. It's going to roughly reflect, you know, global growth. It's like, well, nobody, nobody will work. And, you know, the two points I bring up is one, the one that I, I just mentioned is like, well, I think people will, there'll be less of a requirement to work. Of course, people are still going to want more than others. You know, relative wealth is still going to play. There's still going to sure. be people that are just motivated to explore and build. But secondly, it's like, you, where do you think the 5% purchasing power growth, uh, purchasing power per year growth comes from? It comes from productivity gains and they're being sure. represented in the purchasing power of the money. So it's like, it's not like it just magically uh, is your purchasing power is growing. It's growing sure. because- the amount of goods and services that are available to you relative to the amount of money is growing. And that's what productivity basically is. Sure. So with all that being said, I'm curious what you think about like a future where, you know, that, that, yeah. where, that comment where you said people will not have to work or will be working less. Sure. So I think the term complacency, I brought into the equation there too. So if you're complacent, that's the same level of being inefficient. So in that realm of in Bitcoin environment, complacency will not work, you know, that system, if you're if you yourself are complacent, things won't go your, your way. So any system or, or or company that's going to be complacent in that environment, uh, I, it's synonymous with being inefficient, right? If you're complacent, you're not being productive, you're not helping, you're not contributing to society. That within itself is on the same level of being inefficient. So 
the fear of, uh oh, we don't have to work so hard anymore. It's more like, how can I help people? It's it, it's just a different mindset where now we're being successful graded on money. It is a completely different world where money is not going to be the main goal of let me be successful in life to accumulate as much cash as I can so I can own a big castle. Now, is owning a big castle immoral and moral? How do we know if you make a perfect environment and if you actually could sustain a castle for a hundred years and have a lavish lifestyle, then yes, but we'll only know as time progresses. So time in itself is like a depictor, an unveiler. Is this the correct way to go? So um, in, a, in a Bitcoin world, that complacency fear is not going to happen because if complacency is on the same level of being inefficient. And we've gone through many examples. Any inefficient system eventually will fail or have troubles or have any headwinds. So I think that covers that first question. Uh, the second question, if you don't mind re just uh, reemphasizing or, or repeating the second question, unless that was kind of all buckled in into one. Yeah, it's 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 escaping my mind right now. So if it, if it comes back, sure. I'll, I'll let you know. But sure. it, like I get one of the things that to put a capstone on this perhaps is what we're, we're, we're saying how people have more time basically on a Bitcoin standard. And then all the questions about, well, what do I do with my time? And what do I do with my energy? And there's the morality component and all that kind of stuff. And then we talked yeah. about progress of what people want in their lives and what will enrich their lives most. And again, I think sure. this bodes well for, you know, more happening on the morality front and people saying like, well, is my life that enriched by, there being a Mars colony, or is it more enriched by other things? And that's sure. an interesting process that I, I look forward to, to watching play out to some degree. What do you think will be the result or impact of, you know, Bitcoin more and more broadly being used as sure. money? So what do you think? Sure. Personally, it, 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 of course, this is just speculation. Yeah, what yeah. do you think? More I, 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 sure. People having more time, what will be the consequence of that? Sure. So so I, I think all of us want to live a world with happiness. Like we're all pursuing happiness. You want to feel that pleasure of life, whether it's spending time with family, whether it's spending uh, time in a hospital to give your time to, you know, to volunteer, whatever it might be. Everyone has a degree of happiness or pleasure. Now, in the Bitcoin world, um, the ability to reach that status might get there now if let's say your chasing happiness was accumulating a, a certain amount of money and at the end if you see it failing it, what what bitcoin will do is kind of redirect your focus like maybe you were chasing the wrong thing to achieve true happiness how do we know what happiness is i mean everyone will have a certain degree or definition to it what bitcoin will do is guide us a little bit more accurately to where it should be um, it's almost like a forced uh, push. You know, humans, we think we know what's best for us, but sometimes the heart and mind are kind of separated. Um, heart has all the emotional part, brain has more of the executing factor. So what in, in, in a Bitcoin environment, what it'll do to all of us is it's like we're going on a ship all together and that ship is going to sail towards what life should really be like, because we're that ship is nature itself. Nature knows what to do. It, it, it's it's existed for all this time. If we're on the same floor of um, uh, um, a perfect currency, that ship will navigate us to a peaceful world, a world of happiness and just pleasure that we're all looking for and striving for. But even, everyone has different opinions of what that might be. And I think that's where in a current, in a fiat world, that's why we're bifurcating in many, many different um pieces where I think all of us being part of nature, I think there really is one major destination. A lot of it is going to stem to giving. I think when we all give, that's where true happiness is. 
Um, this is again going to that moral principle or religiosity aspect of things. Um, but that's my vision, what Bitcoin will do. It'll correct our personal decisions of what we think is the most valuable thing to chase. And if it's the wrong thing, it'll it'll redirect us. So um, it's like a tunnel. It, it'll, it'll warp us through to what life should be like yeah. versus what we're deciding what life should be like. I Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I have a, a question about that I want to ask next, but sure. this is kind of a, a lead into it. It sounds like, you know, we were talking about companies like Monsanto being able to kind of perpetuate themselves longer than they otherwise might because of this, you know, the ability to cover things up and distort things with, you know, a malleable system like fiat. Whereas it seems like what you're saying, and I agree, is that Bitcoin is a system that coheres so much more with the laws of nature yes. that the feedback that it will administer yes. will be so much more quick. That and, Right. And so quick and truthful and accurate or truthful and, and, and more rapid, less delayed, Correct. let's say. Correct. And so the, the ways in which individuals, companies, governments will have to adapt will, one, have to be more quick, and two, will have to be more truthful or more coherent with nature, let's say. Yes. And so in, in that sense, that is kind of a, a, a tunneling mechanism, right? It's bringing you closer and closer to coherence with what is true, what is most consequential. And of course, it's unavoidable to kind of wind up at a religious uh, discussion there as well, because sure. it begs the question like, well, what is most consequential? Is it just the laws of nature? Is it the metaphysical behind that, et cetera, et cetera. And so, um, you know, I guess what the, the, the question I wanted to ask you is based on that, do you think the mechanism that brings you to greater coherence with what is, and again, I think that that has been at least a part, you know, probably the larger part of the religious enterprise throughout human history. As a result of Bitcoin also functioning in that sort of way, do you think Bitcoin will become what we call sacred? Like it will, for that um, very reason. It's going to be a very you know, pronounced and kind of scary. But the answer is yes. I, I think this is a very um, divine, deep, the, the depth of what Bitcoin is doing is beyond superficial as far as our current lifestyle. Um, and it'll give us a lot more deeper meanings. So um, I'm gonna say yes to that. I, I, I think, you know, truth hurts sometimes, you know, and that's what Bitcoin does. It's, it's, it's gonna reveal to us what we should be doing. And that's where like, hey, maybe this lifestyle that I, you know, humans are prone to error. We have the subconscious and the conscious mind. We are born with a conscious mind to make decisions within that framework. And if it's kind of going the wrong way or you're thinking the wrong way, but nature is telling you, please choose this path, it's going to help you. You don't even know what, how much it's going to help you. So I think it's like I'm a forced decision-making factor. So I think Bitcoin is a supernatural, divine idea due to the fact that it's synonymous with nature. I had one slide that I put equal signs across the board, uh, the cap supply, it's coded, uh, public ledger, it, 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 from, from every angle possible, it's literally on the same line of, of, of nature. So I think the answer to your question is it's, it's a definite yes. I think it's past any kind of superficial thoughts that we have. This might be tricky and you just touched on it there, but how do you think, you know, we often hear, and I think you use it in your, your work as well, that Bitcoin, well, everything's nature, but Bitcoin coheres with nature perhaps better than any other system that we've certainly invented and it and it's in the system of money which is perhaps the most consequential system for 
coordinating our affairs and interfacing with nature, both nature in the form of other individuals and nature in the form of the natural world. And so when you say or consider that Bitcoin is nature or is it, you know, one of the highest representations of nature, what do you mean and how it think, how, how do you think it achieves that? Um, well, because there's no give, and when there's no give to that floor, um, if you enter this environment, you need to comply with it 100% without any kind of uh, inefficiencies or morality. So if you do, though, you know, that's where your your abilities to live a different life may not happen. Um, so being that it's 100% coded, there's no company, there's no human um, uh, tampering at all. It's a system that's been created by a human, possibly. It's been created by a human. The code there cannot be manipulated or changed. So if you do enter this environment, your actions and how you carry yourself, um, Bitcoin itself will give you, like you said, that feedback mechanism. So I think that's how it's going to work, where Bitcoin itself will guide you. Are you doing the right things based on your successes, based on your level of happiness? Um, so that, that kind of sums it up. If we were to narrativ narrativize that, we might say it's the ultimate judge, right? It's, exactly. That's, that's well there. said. A judge that's not biased. It's, it is what it is. And uh, yeah, very the, well said. The religious connotations abound, of course. Um, but what do you think... So another huge, broad question, but one that we maybe we should have done earlier, but what do you think, what's your definition of truth, I guess, is the question. Uh, it's a good one. I think truth is everything aligned with nature. Um, their ultimate designer has a code in nature. Um, if it goes against your innate feeling meaning truth is being very efficient if you're super efficient and not wasting energy i think that's what i'm going to come down to as far as the definition of truth you are being a hundred percent energy efficient that for me is uh, is synonymous to being truthful yeah i'm sorry to put that on you because it's a very difficult question yeah, yeah. to uh, to no, answer but, but it's good it, it kind of stumped me there but basically what it came down to is how 100% efficient are you as far as your energy your thoughts your your actions are you wasting time are you wasting your energy are you not doing something that will produce 100% productivity to others your family yourself your house your community so truth is being 100% energy efficient with time and 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 energy you know, I think, again, I'm very much on on this kick about exploring the the deeper parts of of Bitcoin. And as we said right at the outset, you kind of wind up at the the moral extremes, which you, again you might call the religious domain uh, at the bottom of things. Right. And I think that's that's part of you know the the reason why truth is such a a common concept in theology. Let's say it's because you know we're saying you want to be as energetically efficient. But in order to do that, you kind of have to know which energy, which system is the most consequential for your energy, right? Is it is it just the physical world that you can measure and all that kind of stuff, or is there something metaphysical that is even more consequential energetically? Sure. And and if you're trying to be most efficient with that, as we said at the outset, what you're trying to do is cohere most closely to that system. 
And again, you know, like what is the the religious enterprise or religious practice, but saying, sure. trying to identify that which is of the greatest consequence and trying to establish union with that, trying to, to trying to sure. cohere with that as much as possible, be in line with that. And, uh, you know, so I, I think that that kind of enforces the definition of truth that you're saying, but of course it, sure. we can apply it at different fractal levels. And it, sure. and I, that, 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 that in itself, I think is one thing that might even be supportive or indicative of, of its veracity is saying like, if that framework applies equally well, you know, across each spectrum, uh, through every domain, through each kind of level of analysis, then presumably it, it bodes well for its broader truthfulness. And I right. think, you know, that's kind of the case with these definitions that we, we're throwing around here. Sure. And, and how does one know what's truthful? I mean, we have, we're born with eyes, ears, we have a supercomputer here. So the more information that we're taking in and we're evaluating it, how is my life? Do I have health? Do I have health complications? Do I have relationship issues? Do I have monetary issues? Do I have there's a constant continuous feed of energy into that supercomputer and it's your responsibility to tap in that supercomputer and just keep questioning am i doing things 100 percent the way i should do it and if not and this is the consequences so again truth hurts sometimes where we we, we see that things are not working up in, in in our way and it's our responsibility to take a step back and really absorb it as much as we can living in this world because um, it's out there. The truth is out there. It's just all about having time and absorbency of information and letting your computer go through its processes to kind of align things. Um, but, but that's a big part of the point is like the feedback that you get, how much pain or how much yeah. joy it creates in you is how you triangulate it on the truth. And I think, you know, we'd both probably agree that the feedback, the feedback in the fiat system it's, it's is yeah. right. It's, it's super faulty. And so it's, it's giving you bad information by which to orient your actions. Exactly. And what do you know, we end up having this, what we'd broad, broadly consider like a lot of immorality and degeneracy yes. and all this kind of stuff in, in the world, because that that feedback mechanism is faulty. Yes. And so people, even if you're, you know, kind of, partially or even subconsciously attempting to be good and, and cohere with truth your, your you're thoughts will be absorbed yeah your right, thoughts will exactly. be absorbed bitcoin bitcoin will punch us all in the face <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be hard i'm telling you it's going to be a hard change but it's like put up put on your vest get your ammunition enter that territory dare if you will but just know that there's circumstances when truth will tell you hey all this was not the correct way to do it you know be a man or step up to the plate and, and do it. So it's 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 definitely a more deeper concept as far as not money. It's like you're entering into a truthful realm. And that truthful realm will all shape us in the right direction to finally one day, you know, get to a point of a peaceful world, a productive world, a happy world. I think that's what we're all chasing. But you, like you said, if those absorption, if those absorbing uh, floor keeps absorbing our falsehoods. We're going to keep going down this path, and that's the whole innovation cycle loop. It has to keep. Oh, sorry, that whole deep, faster innovation has to keep going. So I think yeah. you kind of. Grow. I couldn't We're, agree more. And one of the things that I often say, you know, one of the things I'm, I often say I'm most excited about with the advent and evolution and distribution of Bitcoin, is that at a minimum we'll be able to contend with who we really are and what really is, and orient ourselves that way, and then we'll really be in a position to refine ourselves in the most exactly. consequential way, which is in a moral way. And, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to, all the ugly is going to come up too, you know, but at, at a, like, 
at least we get to contend with what is That's right it. now. There's so much noise in the system, so much confusion that we, like it's it's almost impossible to orient yourself. As you say, I mean, if the floor is always kind of being pulled out from under you, if you're always sinking into it, how do you get a coherent perspective <laughs> you're, on things? You're, I mean, you can't. Right. Right. When you're you not on the horizon, horizon you're, you're of, right. yeah. Exactly. When you go past the event horizon of black hole, I mean, you don't know what's up and down. Whereas if you have that floor underneath you, at least you can look at the landscape, get a sense for it, grasp it. And then you exactly. can engage in the, in the still difficult process of determining who and what you want to be in, to move through that landscape. Exactly. But I, you know, I think that's step one, basically, is having truthful feedback in, in that yeah. whole process. And if we can, then I'm hopeful that you know, if you have any, what I often say is if you have any faith in humanity at all, that we're more good than bad, then you should, uh, that bodes well for it, that being able to be expressed out into the world and into culture, et cetera. And sure. so that, you know, that's one of the things I'm, I'm tremendously excited for. Sure. Um, have you, I know you're new to Twitter. I think I saw your, you started your account in May. Yeah. Um, have, are you, you know, do you follow quote unquote Bitcoin culture at all? Do you yeah, spend time in Bitcoin Twitter, any of that yeah. kind of stuff? Yeah, my YouTube, Twitter, full of Bitcoin, full of finance. Um, again, a little bit of uh, rabbinical and religiosity topics, philosophy, um, just the, the deeper, um, more, more. Um, what would be the right word to use? Nothing is wasteful. I, I, I think systems that are more tend to be more truthful, the depth of studies, that's pretty much what my materials that I'm reading. Yeah. Um, just to gain more leverage and understanding what the world should be. Sure. I, I guess what I mean more so is, have you spent time observing like other Bitcoiners, how they're acting, how they're communicating, yeah. like the Bitcoin culture generally? Yeah, there's definitely some noise out there, but I think there's uh, a commonality between all of us. Uh, I think we all want a good life. I think we all want a truthful life. I think we think about family a lot um, to make the world a better place. I think we all share that. In my initial uh, first slide, I, I made sure to give a lot of recognition to the main pioneers today as far as spreading the word. And it's just someone who studies truth as much as they can, you can connect so easily. So I think most of the Bitcoin uh, people behind it we're all on the same wavelengths. We might have some differences. There's a few maybe sour apples here and there, but I think we're all aiming for the same. So I think we're connecting on a similar wavelengths. So yeah, couldn't be sure. Well. Yeah. Um, am I right in, in, did you say in, in the longer or one of your videos that the, the brain is designed to do good? Does that sound familiar? Sure. Or... So, sure. So because we're bred from nature, we're made up of cells, um, our muscles, nervous system, brain tissue, that's all biological. And if you break things, things down, those are all cells, which are following the rules of nature. But that conscious mind, I think the subconscious and the conscious mind, that conscious mind has this, the ability to go a little bit past um, that point of choosing within that box of how to live our lives. So the brain uh, utilizes more energy to provide a lie or to come up with a lie. In its bare state, the brain will do what it has to do in a truthful way. But if we want to get something done that's immoral, multiple meta-analysis, multiple research articles have actually studied through fMRIs to see the uh, utilization of brain tissue that you have to come up with a, with a deceit or a lie. And that was another breakthrough, like, whoa, more energy consumption to come up with the idea of lying or deceit. And eventually that system or product will be picked up in nature because 
Remember the examples, anything that becomes energy efficient will start to get weeded out. So if a person thinks of a lie, thinks of a dishonest property um, and put it puts it into a product, it'll be eventually picked up. Because of the overutilization of brain energy, it is produced. So net energy is never created or destroyed. So once there's, let's say, 100 joules of a thought, that thought should have been 50 joules. But because there was a lie, you have to go a little bit past your innate truthfulness and then add another 50 joules to the thought. And that became more energy inefficient. And then the product itself has it and the product will eventually fail over time. So, so yes, lying, it, lying within itself is more energy consuming. Obviously, we've been talking a lot about energy. We haven't talked too much about forms of energy in this discussion. We've just been talking about it more broadly. Um, sure. But I think in, in another one of the big points in your videos was that uh, this won't be worded perfectly, but like morality is the highest form of energy or something. Yeah. Yeah. Can you so this is where unpack that one. Sure. So this is where it's going to go past, you know, the tangibility aspect. So what I did is go back 100 or 200 years ago, the fact that we didn't know there was the electromagnetic wave, you know, in regards to radio, gamma rays, x-rays, they were all around us, but we didn't know. Even molecules of scent, you know, molecules are all around us, but we can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. By with the advancement of science and laboratories, which that part I think is very useful when you create tools to investigate nature, how it works. So laboratories coming with microscopes, um, fluoroscopy, all that stuff, we're able to kind of detect through experiments what's out there in nature. So we've discovered radio waves, we've discovered infrared waves, we've discovered uh, gamma rays. What we can see only is that little spectrum called visible light. But what else is out there? I think it's, open to conversation. Is there anything past that part? I know this is where I may scare a few people, but 200 years ago, if we said the same thing about radio waves, like, what are you talking about? There's waves hitting me, or there's a scent of a molecule, there's a piece of something in the air, even light. So uh, just because it's not tangible, it should not be ruled out. It should be investigated. So those scientists who spend time, money, and effort to investigate those waves, lo and behold, science was able to prove that there was past what we can see. So that kind of, I put an open-ended conversation. Is there anything higher than money? I think that's where the next level or the highest level is that morality aspect. So moral energy within itself, consider a wave, consider a molecule, that part is up open to debate, but that's where I'm gonna say that that probably has the highest form going through the previous examples of inefficiencies and breaking that though then first principles, you know, anything that's inefficient, anything that's complacent, you're, not being moral. Everything came down to morality, being not truthful. So that's where I said, I have to postulate something. Money in a way is the second highest form of energy, the first, that there's something above it. And that's where that morality, moral energy concept came into fruition. Can you explain a little bit about um, why money is the second highest form of energy? Sure. You know, can so, you explain so, the different forms in your piece? Sure. So a person, him or herself, goes out to nature and helps to produce something or help other people, you get in exchange money. So money in itself is derived from the actual act. The act itself, the moral act of being productive and helpful was the actual transfer of energy money was a representation of it so there you know it's a sub layer so money in itself is the second highest form i think the first first form of energy is that person thinking that day how can i be productive the thought of doing that it's just we get money in exchange for it we think that we're working for money but we're in a sense working for something more 
Right. I, so what would be lower forms of energy than money? And uh, why are they lower forms of energy? Um, I think the impact. So, I mean, I think nature's energy, electricity, light, um, uh, nuclear, th there's, there's different, um, more grounded energy, let's say on earth, the resources available and on that electromagnetic wave, as you get to gamma rays are much more potent, they're much more stronger. They can actually change. So there are potencies to different layers of energy. Um, so that explaining you know, just like elements in this world, there's 118 different elements each and every one of them it, itself on its basic atomic principle has a level of energy itself. So on the code of nature itself, there's a rubric or a, uh, what do you call it? Uh, just a layer of energy potencies. So there, there are things that are graded higher. There are things that are graded lower. And that, that explains why I do believe there's a system of levels of energy, its potency, its magnitude. And that's where I'm saying before that lying and cheating and all that have greater magnitudes, believe it or not, than the actual truth itself. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, and on, on a periodic table, there's there's a list of numbers, those atomic numbers, they actually each and every one on its basic principle, on basic atomic level have different properties. So nature in within itself has different levels of energy levels uh, of, of certain materials. Oh, absolutely. Hope that makes help make sense. Well, I mean, the 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 last bit I'll I'll see if I can get out of you is is yeah. basically why is money considered or why do you consider money to be a higher form of energy than than all of those other than sure whatever the form of energy morality is sure because that's the direct exchange when you do a certain work you get paid in money so money obviously we can't barter is the old ways to do it now we've exchanged it with actual money so your direct work with that person building a chair for you you know you can make a deal where you can get paid in lawn or or, or a chair or whatever it is but you know we, we've accepted the, the agreement that money itself will be the exchange of the effort so the effort and jewels we all agreed consensusly to accept money. So it's the second highest form. But again, the, the reason where the person went to go build that chair, even if it's indirectly where I have to go make money to pay the bill, you actually still help the person. You built that chair, you help someone to sit down comfortably in their home. That idea to help someone sit at home, that's not a money, a, a, a money concept. That was me helping. What the term helping means you're going in that moral level of thinking uh, or goodness or beneficial, the beneficial way of thinking, and you help that person. In exchange, you get the second layer of energy, which is money. Right. So hope. is it is it fair to say, because you know, let's say all forms of energy kind of represent at least the potential for a, to be a motive force, right? Like to to yeah. do work. Yeah. Uh, it's a, do you consider money to be kind of a, a higher form of energy because it has a motive force? exclusively in human beings but you know yeah. we may be the most refined form of consciousness as far as we know at, at least on earth to some people's pr perspective so do you do you consider it the most refined form of energy because it it has such a motive force in humans but it also has the component of morality nested yeah. or built into it sure we we you, humans needed something tangible to say how much did i help this person out i think money came to that part where it kind of gave us a graded ability to see how uh helpful i am but this is where bitcoin will reverse that part where i told purchasing power will be exponentially higher we we don't 
we don't need money anymore. We're out there to help. So that, that driving force of us to do good, Bitcoin allows it to happen without us thinking that second layer, I need to go out to make money. Uh, so money was an inventive tool to give us some sort of guidance, how good we are in, in nature. Um, but do we really need money? It's it's a it's an open debate. I mean, because if, if you know, this is a hard thing to grasp. But money itself was a made up entity to kind of get us acquainted um, with how beneficial we are to others. And if we're if we're creating a system of how helpful it could be, you can get to the point where you can build someone a chair. Someone will make you food. Someone will give you health. Like it, 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 the exchange of our moral principles is all what we need. It's it's a extreme thought. Um, I hope that kind of helps, or maybe I could be wrong in this part, but I, I, I think money comes as close as we can to get some sort of idea of how helpful we are to society. Well, the latter part, absolutely, I agree with. I, I My sense currently is that we'll, well, I'll, forever is a long time, as I often say, but I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll use money for a very long time, even if it's, you know, sure. perfect money like Bitcoin or close to perfect money like Bitcoin, because even... Even if we were all kind of set free and we had all of our needs were met, I mean, I still think there's the element of money that is not just like uh, facilitating exchange, but also the, the the specificity of determining value, you know, and be, and because it can be so much more specific in in identifying, determining, and communicating value, I feel like we'll still have that. Whereas, you know, strict barter or tit for tat, or I'll do you a favor, you do me, doesn't have that same sort of specificity. Right. And I think as we try to inch closer to capital V value and capital T truth, I feel like that the specificity of that mechanism by which we're, we, we do so is value is valuable. It, it will sure. be continue to be useful to us and therefore we'll continue sure. to, to use it. Sure. Yeah, I, I think again, money is definitely an efficient way to exchange value, and you accumulate money so you can make your life better, spend more time with family. So I think money is a necessity. It just has to be perfect money for it to work itself out in the future. So, um, so again, that's um, what I'm going to go again. The se it's the second layer of what we're doing. We we are primarily putting ourselves out there to help, and then the second layer is you get money in exchange for that help. So, mm -hmm. uh, just to reemphasize that part, we've obviously been very positive on Bitcoin in this conversation, as I often am. But, you know, it, when you think about a future like this, and it's it's just, you know, as a side note, it's just staggering that we get to think about a future like this. I mean, I'm as everyone listening to this show for a while knows, like when I was in my early 20s, I looked out on the world and I tried to understand as much of it as I could, you know, so read a lot about all different things. And I was, you know, I was like, oh, my God, this is fucked. You know, these things are, are not looking good and I don't see how it gets turned around in any meaningful way. And now that we have a mechanism like the one that we're describing, that seems to be like, I couldn't have imagined something that could have turned things around in a better way than this. Perfect I mean, it just fills you with gratitude and hope and energy and enthusiasm and all these things. So it's just amazing that we get to live at a time where potentially something like that exists and is 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 propagating throughout the world. But or not, but, but, in, you know, in tandem with that, do you think there are downsides to it or, or, you know, as you envision that future, what about sure. it do you not like, or that you, you think needs to be protected sure. against or thought about or whatever? I really can't come up with, with a negative. The only thing I would think is that Bitcoin, we all think about getting rich and, you know, obviously splurging and, and 
having some complacency, but I keep reminding myself, if you do that, you know, Bitcoin again will punch you in the face as far as saying this is not the right thing to do. That that person will maybe have some tough times or they come to a time. So that, that's my only concern is that Bitcoin, obviously the exponential growth in money and, and richness um, maybe will lead us to a lifestyle where complacency or splurging might happen. But I'm going to go back to that theory where nature itself will rear its ugly head if it's not energy efficient. So I really don't have any concerns. I think this is where some countries, China, Russia, I think they've studied this stuff and they're, they they see the threats to this part where it's a, a system that is perfect. <laughs> I, I know there's like, we have to question, is there something perfect on this world? I mean, the world itself is perfect. And if you can uh, emulate it, I think this is where, you know, you start to have no doubts of any imperfections because the world itself is perfect. Yes, we have tsunamis. Yes, we have natural disasters, but that is part of nature as, 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 it, as ugly as it is, it is nature. So when we term the word perfect, we have to be very careful to say that, but I think Bitcoin's, it's hard to say, label it hundred percent. Can I say 99.9999? It you know that's that's how I that's why I look at it. So it's hard to answer any negativities towards Bitcoin itself. Uh, I think it's going to be a very very critical innovative tool that will reshape our lives for the good, for the better, and forever. Uh, it just comes down to people joining in, and you're going to have you know a huge force that will not. They will resist. Um, so it's like a battle in a way. That's why I think Jason Lowry is kind of putting it in a very nonviolent way. So. Um, I'm going to say there's no negative connotation that Bitcoin gives me. I think it's going to be the most truthful system that will, I would say, eradicate evil. Well, there you go. <laughs> a, 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 a sacred or religious assertion, if you ever, if you ever wanted one. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I I largely agree with that, and uh, you know, I think we all. It's good to be to not be complacent, as you say, even on the way to that place where complacency will be punished and and sure. act as though, you know, it matters what you do to contribute to it, you know, whether whatever capacity that might be. But, you know, to allow it to to kind of draw the best out of you and to apply that to it such that the, the success is even more uh, has a higher probability of being the you know successful than it otherwise might have. You know, I think that's kind of like the call, like the the hero's sure. journey in a sense. Not, I'm not saying everyone needs to reorient their lives, but to uh, you know, to be as uh, as good of a Bitcoin citizen as they can be. I guess is sure. you know a phrase, a, a way it's often been uh, characterized. Sure, and I think one maybe negative about Bitcoin is the actual uh, holding on to it or the custody of it. I think still that has to be ironed out. I think there's a lot of that fear, like you have 12 or 24 words within you, how do you protect it? What if, I, you know, what if happened something to you or your family? I think the custody aspect of Bitcoin, I can see that being some sort of negativity, but I think it'll be ironed out as the maturity of Bitcoin happens. And I think multiple services will, will be created from that part. So maybe just an off-tangent uh, addition there. Yeah, I mean, if, if we're saying that we're going into an environment where truth is communicated yeah, like with higher fidelity, then a market based on that means if there's a demand in a market, it's probably going to be satisfied, right? Because okay. it's going to be communicated with fidelity. And if it really is a pain point, some or a lot of people are going to try to solve it because of the opportunity that that creates. 
And I would suspect, you know, those, you know, that's how it's going to go down. And even, yeah. yeah. With, yeah, with even greater efficiency and effectiveness than markets that we're, we've, we've been become accustomed to because the signaling mechanism in these markets are, is so poor and the distortion and the perversion is so rampant that when yeah. we get on uh, into a market that's more and more predicated on Bitcoin, those, those signals are going to be that much higher fidelity. And I think, you know, if, and, and as we keep saying, you know, people's capacity to buy goods and services is going to be so much greater that smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller pain points are going to have the capacity to be satisfied, you know, and that's why I think, well, that's one of the, you know, why it's such a hopeful future because, sure. uh, and, and the, I think that a lot of people have a lot of, you know, particularly people on the left side of the political spect spectrum have fears that like, oh my God, if we live in a world where the government can't just print money, like what are we going to do about, you know, the welfare and people left behind and people that slip through the cracks. And I just don't think they're fully considering the implications of people having that much more purchasing power and That's people it. being it that fix, much more financially secure. And yeah, the so one, the the, yeah, exactly. The market will conjure up solutions to many of those problems there'll be far less people slipping through the cracks because of the dy dynamics in the market and individuals will, will have far more capacity to help out those people in their immediate or not so immediate environment as a result of those dynamics and many more things that you know neither of us are considering right now um sure. but you know it's difficult for people to see outside the paradigm that they're in i get that and i think that's sure. the case with a lot of stuff today Sure. Um, no, my last question for you, and then you sure. know, I'll hand it over to you if there's anything you wanted to cover, which we haven't done so already, but um, we keep talking about, and I said, I talked to a lot of people who have been kind of transformed by this. I got to imagine, you know, some of the concepts we just touched on are pretty mind blowing. You know, have they influenced you in any noticeable way or were you, absolutely. was your life kind of already yeah. aligned? In a Definitely. You know, learning Bitcoin absolutely shaped how I think of money and even just lifestyle characteristics. You know, I'm checking myself how truthful I am to family, how truthful I am to myself, my work, my patients, um, everything. I, I think it, it transformed me. That's how powerful Bitcoin is. You know, if you if you truly understand what Bitcoin is versus how much money it's worth, like the dollar amount, it absolutely transforms an individual um, to bare or like truthfulness or, or, or down to nature. Um, absolutely, it definitely improved my clarity, um, genuity. Um, it's just, I, I think every facet of life, if we apply Bitcoin principles or nature principles, it improves it by long shot. So uh, there's no question diving deep into Bitcoin, into sciences and energy, you start to see how the world really works. Um, and that transformed how I speak to patients, and I said before, even taking more time to treat patients, you know, words are way more powerful than actions. Your, your brain itself, the energy, um, you know, one, one ounce of brain tissue thinking in such a positive way and letting it through your mouth to, so the patient can hear that part, way more pronounced. So I'm actually doing a lot more talking to patients versus actual physical, because if I can inspire and encourage world of difference. So the way I thought about how energy itself within the brain, like the ions and the neurotransmitters down to the, to the bare first principles of what, how we think and how our muscles work from the actual thought, the potency of words, the potency of thinking. So Bitcoin really opened up my eyes to a deeper thought process. And it definitely improved um, every facet, practice of work, family, religion, uh, finance, 
and social. So yes, it, it had ripple effects across many, many parts of the living. That's awesome. You know, yeah. it's so fascinating to consider the energy of words, right? You know, I, you might say a word and it hits someone else's eardrums, vibrates it a certain way, gets decoded yeah. in their brain. And it might be a word or a piece of information that serves as a catalyst for like a transform yes. transformative breakthrough. I mean, that's sure. what you just described. Now, it wasn't just one word. It was learning all about Bitcoin, but that's basically the same thing, just on a, a bit of a different scale. But as you say, you know, words are just information and the way that they are taken up by somebody can catalyze a tremendous transformation and all the energy that is, uh, you know, all the energy that that, that transformation represents was catalyzed by just a exactly. tiny piece of information. It's wild, right? Yeah. The, the, the way, the way I look at it too, it's like, let's say you have an architect thinking about a 200 story building made of steel and that he has to know every screw, every this or that 200 story steel building was in the brain like that presentation that weight of that building was in the concept of that mind so mind is super powerful and i think that's what bitcoin did for me it really helped to see that idea the, the power of thought and the power of thought and if you can speak those out you can make huge changes in people's lives so mm -hmm. uh yeah kind of adding to what you're saying you know, words are, are are much more powerful than what we think they are so to be careful what we use and how we present ourselves to others Right. Yeah. Bitcoin has definitely been mind expanding for many, Absolutely. many, many, many people in the, in the most profound sense. Um, well, no, that's, you know, we, we, we sped through a lot of that, but that's pretty much um, all I have for you. Did, did you, was there anything that you wanted to, to cover really. or before we shut Just it down? Not really, just uh, I hope you can put a link for that uh, uh, presentation I put up if anyone's interested. Yeah. It's about close to three hours long so if, if you have enough patience to sit through that, but I, I kind of break things down into simple terms. It's a little slow here and there, but you have in order to explain Bitcoin, I think you need more than three hours, but I did the best I can to explain energy, um, um, systems that fail, systems that succeed, and the actual concept of Bitcoin. So if you can put a link to that presentation, it'll be helpful. And I just... You know, I think every person has to take Bitcoin, not in just monetary gains. They have to look at this as transforming the world. It's a huge movement um, that we can't still really grasp. But if you study deeper and deeper and go to the depth of Bitcoin, it'll change the world, family and the person himself for the better. So that's Couldn't agree more. We'll yeah. definitely share the link to the video. Are you going to be doing additional videos? Is that like we'll a hobby see. now or what? We'll, we'll see. I think uh, it comes down to how my day goes, but I, I think I have a passion for it. So there might be a few more additions to that. Oh, awesome. Yes. Well, you know, as I said at the beginning, um, I found it very thought provoking. I, I, it's not, you know, a lot of those concepts, I think many of us will have thought about before, but it's always great when people put them in a in a coherent and a sequential sort of way, sure. because it helps us contextualize it all better and increase our understanding and, you know, sure. for, further down the rabbit hole we go. So I, I definitely Absolutely. appreciate the work. I hope there's more of it and uh, look forward to catching up again sometime in the future. Thanks, John, for your time. All right, brother. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Oh.